Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 100 of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So yeah, episode number 100, my how the time flies, and I want to say thanks to all of you for all of the words of encouragement over the years and all of the great questions you've submitted, and I want to thank every single person who has come on this show. You all have made this what it is, and you all have proven what I believe to be true, that if we created a place where we could just talk intelligently about gear and really dive unapologetically into the details and not just talk in stupid cliches or dumb everything down into tiny little sound bites, I believed that we would find an audience. And in fact, thanks to you all, we have. And so again, I thank each and every one of you for being a part of this ride. And of course, I do also need to say thanks for letting us on occasion get really stupid too, because, you know, smart is cool, but sometimes stupid is pretty fun, and I appreciate you guys indulging us from time to time. Anyway, back when we launched Gear 30, there was one person and only one person who I wanted to have on to be our very first guest. And if you know anything about Eric Hjorlifsson, you already know why. And so for those exact same reasons, as episode number 100 was approaching, I thought that it was only fitting to have Hoji back on for the occasion. And so this time around, Hoji and I discuss all the tinkering that he's been doing during this time of quarantine, what ski gear he thinks has the most room for improvement, we talk about snowmobiles, and we really go into climbing skins, and we talk about the Pomoka and Forefront collab. We then get talking about mono skiing and tele skiing and snowboarding. And then one of the best big mountain skiers of all time talks about one of the best basketball players of all time. So that kind of felt to me like some sort of Gear 30 miracle or something. Anyway, there's a lot going on in this episode. It's great. It's Hoji. And so let's just get right to it. Well, Eric Hjorlifsson, how are you today and where are you today? Well, I'm, I'm doing well, uh, Jonathan. Thank you. I'm just in my home in, in Whistler here, um, as I've been quite, quite a lot <laughs> lately. But uh, yeah, just hanging around, doing a few things. We are happy to have you back on. You know, this is this is episode number 100 of Gear 30, and you were the very first guest we ever had on for episode number one. So I thought, I've been thinking this whole time is, you know, we've been kind of getting near to episode 100. It was like, well, we got to have Hoji back on clearly for the 100th episode. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty glad that uh, we could make this work. And I have one other weird thing to tell you. If anyone was going to be the patron saint of Gear 30, it's got to be you. I think you are kind of the, you know, quintessential gearhead tinkerer. So I don't know how you feel about this, but I guess, and I, I don't know if you have to ask someone if they would be the patron saint 
of a podcast since that's not really a thing. But like, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, so many honors here. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm blushing. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, premiere premiere uh, episode, a hundredth episode. You've been busy. That's uh, well done. That's amazing. I've mm. caught some, not all. I'm guilty, but maybe I should catch up with all this free time. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what I could do with how. Uh, it would yeah, be I an don't, honor. <laughs> I don't know if I deserve it, but I don't know if I have to fax you a form to like you know make this legal or how this would work. But um, I don't really like forms and stuff. So, but yeah, I've kind of I've thought like yeah, if Gear Thirty were to have a patron saint, I think it's you. So, talk a little bit about what life during these COVID times have looked like for you. I'm sure some people are curious and interested but yeah what have you been doing well yeah it's obviously been uh, a major kind of adjustment to uh had a lot of momentum it was a very good winter lots of fun projects skiing filming camps uh working on product and yeah it all kind of exploded or imploded as with everyone else and everything in the world and lost uh yeah, a couple months of, of nice plans that were about to happen. Um, so there was a night, uh, kind of a, that transitional period of, it was actually my birthday, um, was the last night out on the town, um, March 14th in Whistler here. And that we were all like joking around. We're like, well, this is it. And, uh, yeah, the next day, like all every, all the restaurants, everything bar, like everything shut. Um, they had already closed some of the, you know, they were starting to shut down, but that's when it really took like the hard boom. No. And, uh, <clears throat> there was a, a, a night, a brief period there about 10 days where they were actually like not promoting, but like really allowing the uphill, uh, ski traffic. And it was happy times. We were just skiing, you know, go up every day in the afternoon when it was, we had a beautiful, uh, kind of March, April, it would not, not much in the way of fresh snow, but just like great corn spring skiing. And, uh, yeah, then that all, all got closed as well. And the parks got closed and just like everywhere else, there was a, and it, you know, you just didn't feel right about really pushing it too hard or doing too much. So I ended up spending a lot of time at home to start, you know, did all the all the little nagging chores. I still got a few things, uh, things around the house uh, that, you know, fix the vacuum, fix the cat tower, fix all these different things that were just like piling up and never time to fix. And then, yeah, I did a bit of work in, on some projects I was uh, already started and then slipped into a deep kind of four-week uh, zombie nighttime night shift just working on in the shop on the shop itself and then into the machine. And yeah, I've been on a bad night shift because there's just no reason to get up in the morning and, <laughs> and that's sad, but I mean, it's just, I, I, I'm awake for the same amount of time as everyone else, probably more, but my hours are just naturally wrong what is the schedule? Like when, what are we talking about? You're in the shop, you're going into the shop, what time at night and emerging at what time in the morning? Well, you know, like a, 
I'm usually um, kind of getting up between, it just depends. Uh, ideally, it would be nine o'clock, but a lot of the times it's more like 11. And mm -hmm. then doing administrative work and there's been no shortage of emails and, you know, still stuff's con continuing on business-wise via online communication and things like that, interviews. So that, there's been an, a, a steady flow of that still, which is good. Um, a lot of negotiations and things like that uh, that were really going to be finalized. They got put on hold, so they're just starting to to restart now. Yeah, and then spend time with the wife and around the house, go for a walk, go for a jog, whatever. And uh, kind of after dinner and chill time, that's when I usually end up, I'm like, okay, now it's time to go to work. A lot of the time I don't resurface other than... Uh, short washroom and beer restocking breaks till uh, four or five in the morning. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of weird, but I'll, I'll, I think the prospect of mountain biking, which I just yeah. yesterday was my second ride and uh, it seems to be things are opening up and yeah. So there'll be something, some activity, but yeah, I just haven't been motivated to like go drive to the, you know, to the Duffy or, take load up the sled and go kind of push that and just to go skiing when it's uh, half a kilometer away from my house would be the best skiing there could be but you're just technically forbidden to do that <laughs> okay so you've talked about you've been working on and tinkering with stuff in your shop itself has there been a specific category of gear that you've either been thinking about the most or maybe even, you know, tinkering with prototypes or something? Yeah, I mean, it's still very much uh, on the uh, path of boot development. And I have, I I need to finish mucking around on, on my milling machine and actually get back to work now. Um, I think that it's just kind of been a subconscious choice. It's like, well, nothing's happening here. I can't really go skiing. The companies are shut down. I'm just going to work on the projects on the machine itself that I've had in the back of my mind for a few years and already kind of bought half the components. But yeah, I'd like to get back on the boot side of things. I have some a lot of like basically like shells that are cut up and plastic welded and components here and there and parts I've made and just all like sitting there. And I, one, I was like getting to a bit of a skiable, very early roughed out, um, let's say very, very crude prototype, but uh, starting to see, you know, the idea evolve. And so I need to get back into that because I think there is something there and I, I was very excited about it for a long time and it just kind of all got pushed aside like everything else, which is fair and fine. Um, and it gives me something to do moving forward. But yeah, that's been the main, the main focus, of course, because I just don't have technical prowess or brilliance to really tackle bindings and I need to get back over to Europe at some point once the world kind of once we sort everything out, if that happens, I hope so. Um, but yeah, there's there's some projects with Fritz that we're hoping to start. And it, I mean, it's mostly him. I'm just the 
I'm just a, a lackey text test monkey and <laughs> trying to learn. So, but yeah, and then the skis, of course, there's just been constant uh, flow of streamlining things uh, and with the the Utopi factory and Jason and pushing forward with the skin attachment and all sorts of prototypes coming. And uh, they've been very, very fun to work with, very, you know, pretty quick and proactive to like really getting it done. So um, it's always nice when you have a, a partnership with a company and they're like, you kind of start the, the spark or like get something going and they just like hammer on it and, and take it on fully um it's been kind of cool excited for that to continue to i mean it's it's going to be debuting i think next season hopefully um and uh yeah i i don't even have the final where where we ended up because of uh yeah ski company shutdown and and a bunch of that kind of stuff obviously we're gonna talk more about climbing skins in a minute here but Maybe before we get there, this is something that we had been talking about mostly because we were, right, coming to the end of a decade and starting a new one. And so around here, we were asking a number of our reviewers just questions about different gear categories and sort of where we thought there was maybe the most room for improvement, not with any one specific product, but just kind of more along the lines of categories of gear in general, right? And so I guess I know you've been thinking about and working on boots so much, but if you took a step back from that, maybe just in your view, you know, to put the same question to you, like what category first of all keeping it just to ski gear what category of ski gear do you maybe think there is the most potential room for improvement so if we're talking about ski boots or skis themselves or bindings or avi gear or helmets or goggles or whatever what what comes to mind for you as a category well yeah i mean i think i feel like the skis are are really in a way where they've reached, you know, they're at a good, there's a good level of uh, design and um, execution there. Uh, and that's where I feel personally the heart, that's where I have like, not a plateau, but like, it's just, now I'm just polishing with like 1500 grit paper and oil <laughs> um yep. on the designs i think yeah obviously the the uh having access to more technology materials the way they're made but uh i'm i'm i feel like the design elements and like the real progression has has reached a very nice point mostly across the board from what i've seen and tried and been at the the ski tests but yeah i'm still not happy I'm, let's say I'm not satisfied with boots. I think there's a lot that can be done there. Bindings, of course, that's a whole nother can of worms. And I think we're, we're slowly chipping away and like people, you can see the demand is there and, and there's some cool things that have been done or that are coming out. And I think it's just gonna, the, the industry, from what I've seen, the, the inside perspective is the companies are kind of like all waiting they're like, well, 
a shift. Yeah, it was successful, but how, what are the real numbers and what's the real demand and what are people like, it's kind of a test of what's, what people want. And it's kind of weird that it feels like companies are just waiting to see what people want instead of showing them what they want. But that's the difference between being a leader and a reaction <laughs> manufacturer. But uh, and that can be the reality because obviously bindings are insanely like a, an enormous cost. Research, development, testing, patents, regulation, certificate. Like it's just a, yeah. So it's not something that just, I mean, unless you're in the lightweight tech world, which is that's why there's been a lot of really cool things and small companies and it's just such a it's a niche thing and people are just looking for this cutting edge and it's such a wait, 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 wait and what needs to look this way and boom, boom, boom. And so um, you've seen a lot more kind of progression there or different ideas being tried. And meanwhile, the Alpine bindings are are still uh you can still buy the look pivot 18s or whatever that I ski raced in 20 something years ago. And they were around 20 something years before that. So <laughs> they work and people like them, but they haven't, uh, they haven't really, I don't know if they need to be improved, you know, like what I guess, but, uh, yeah. And then you can get into the skins and the glue and all that kind of stuff that, that is like a huge, uh, it's just a nightmare. And people are doing nice jobs and good things, but it's it's just a big band-aid you stick on the bottom of your ski to walk up the hill that leaves glue on it or whatever. And it's, uh, there could be, if someone really nails a, a real innovation there that works, that'll be, that could be really interesting, I think. I want to ask the same question, but maybe extend it beyond the ski world. So if you were to be thinking about just outdoor gear in general, so we could be talking about climbing equipment, we could be talking about tents, we could be talking about any biking equipment. Is there any category outside of the ski world that you look at and think, man, I see a lot of room for improvement in that particular category? I've been getting into mountain biking for half a decade here and but I'm not technical I'm not I'm not and I'm not an expert but uh it seems like there's been a lot of really nice uh innovations and improvements year after year and some stuff's just like making something different for the sake of making it different as far as I can see but I mean, they're starting, I'm really liking, I, I don't have a new bike or anything, but it's, yeah, the, you're starting to see like some integrated, you know, components into the, into the frame where you can actually store a few tools and things like that. Like it becomes a bit more uh, well thought out and not just like a fancy piece of carbon or aluminum that looks nice um for the actual what you're going to use it and you always need some little bits and pieces and tools when you're biking because it's such a mechanical <laughs> thing uh yesterday I, I chipped my uh rotor on my front uh wheel there just walking my bike up and nicked a rock on the trail and i ended up having to do like a caveman surgery with two rocks pounding it off and try. I'm like, if I just had a file, we could be riding right now. 
Uh, so yeah, there's always something like that. But uh, I mean, I don't, I yeah, I don't know enough about. I don't think about it. My, I'm, I'm such a. I'm just looking at skiing because that's been my life and everything else. I, I've been like, I, I was laughing with my buddy there who helped me kind of fix up my bike and you know it's getting old, six years old, and I've replaced everything and I'm just kind of, I'm the guy. I'm like, my bike's the green one. And uh, the less I know and the less I pay attention, it's like that kind of ignorance is bliss. And then I'm laughing at him, like just, you know, he starts working on something. And he's like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, I know there's, I have a lot of friends who come over and like, hey, can you fix my buckle? And then I start like, they take a look at their bindings and I'm replacing all these pieces and they're like, the components are like sheared in half. I'm like, how are you still skiing on this? And I'm that guy with bikes. So I'm, I'm maybe I'm not the innovator there. <laughs> guy used to just, sort of always be the guy that was like, yeah, running is stupid. Of course, I don't ever go running. And increasingly, I mean, one, we've got an amazing trail network here in Crested Butte. But I just think the other thing is like, man, when we're constantly dealing with all this ski gear, it's pretty nice to just throw a pair of shoes on and literally go out the door and you're doing the thing. Yeah. You know? And like, so I kind of think... I think we're allowed to have the areas where we dork out about the gear, but sometimes, and, and for me, same with mountain biking, like I don't review mountain bikes for us. And so I can, while I will still talk to our reviewers about what they're feeling on a bike or whatever, it's different than what I'm doing when going skiing. And so I think we, it's kind of nice to have those areas where we can turn it off. Yes. Um, so I, I think that's permissible. I totally agree. Oh, I wanted, I thought of one the other day for the bikes. I'm like, well, all these frames and what's happening and everyone has all these weird racks and it's like, why don't they just come up with the integrated into the bike frame, like a attachment point for hanging it off the, off your rack or whatever. And then the racks could be smaller. And I started thinking about all this stuff. It was pretty funny, but yeah, I like the mindless, uh, not mindless, but like the low, low f low like uh, emotional investment and thinking and planning to just go do something um so i feel very fortunate to live where i live here in whistler because for biking or even skiing or running i mean any mountain town that's that's why we gravitate to to end up trying to find a way to live in these spots because that's what we like to do um but yeah i thought I, a lot uh, actually throughout this season it's like how much you start thinking like maybe it's as you get older, it's like how much effort and like time is invested just to get here for the, that five minutes of skiing. Like it's great. You start looking, you're like, what am <laughs> <Yep>. I doing? <laughs> but those five minutes are like, Oh, you'll remember that forever. And it's like, that's what brought you. You don't care that you drove across the province and stayed on a couch and then sledded for hours and then skinned all day and then skied like the most epic run and then had to climb back out and sled down in the dark and load up your sleds and go back to the couch. And it's like, you added all, all of that up and it was like, wow, but that was the best run of the year. So. <laughs> and by the way, my answer, my personal answer and maybe this is slightly cheating because I said like outside of the ski world, 
But in thinking about all outdoor gear just across the board, I still do think that snowmobiles is probably the answer to the question of like, what category of gear could we at least imagine there being significant improvement? Yeah, I I mean, I could see uh, around here too, it's like there's just so much now with the snowmobile clubs and grooming. And I mean, you really don't need the sleds that are available just to get up to the good skiing. You barely need, I've I've been, I'm like, I want like a enclosed side by side with tracks on it that I just can listen to music and it's quiet somehow and I drink my coffee and just like cruise up the snow covered road to the ski touring. Like I don't want to get on something and go, <laughs> and uh, I mean, maybe the electric stuff and all I, it, I, I sledding for me is a real love hate. Uh, I hate the noise. I hate the smell. I hate the smoke. I hate the dirt. I hate the, it's just, this is my point. Yes. And you just, it's such a, in North America, for sure. I mean, without one, you're you're basically limited to your motivation to really bushwhack and hike up and walk on flat roads or to go to the same places everyone else does or to use the ski hills to get into the mountains. Um, so yeah, if there was some kind of better, I've thought about, you know, like I want to try that everyone around here is getting the dirt bikes and into that and there's all those snow bike kits and everyone there's like huge promoters and everyone hates them and goes back and forth. I've yet to try one, but my other thing about the snowmobile is it just sits there for 350 days of the year in my garage. And, uh, it's takes up one of my parking stalls and I only have two. So (laughs) I, at least it would be, the dirt bike thing, but then it's how hard is it to convert it back and forth? But maybe that's a good thing because you actually do the maintenance while you're doing it. And then other people, oh, you just blow your motor and that's not how a dirt bike's supposed to. So it's, that hasn't been nailed either, but I've thought about that. Maybe that's a way moving forward. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I agree with you. See, we need you when you go into your shop tonight, we need you to now start thinking hard about snowmobiles or modified dirt bikes. This is, we need you on this. The world needs you on this. Well, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm yeah, I'll try. I need, I just, I just (laughs) need to, I just actually need to try like instead of talking about all that, go and rent one or try one or borrow one and go out and actually see what it's like. And where you can go and I mean it's it's one of those things like the slide will always get you so much further than anything else we're talking about so if 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 you're the if you have that as your goal then there's I mean the sleds now are pretty amazing other than the noise but yeah it's been like from when I started sledding and bought a 96 670 that was just a nightmare just to operate and drive and I mean it's still running my brother has it that's incredible but (laughs) you see a lot of people who've gotten into the younger ski athletes and people you go with and they're just they can do anything go anywhere the sled's never breaking down there's no like it's 
it has uh, there has been significant improvements to the machines, um, the usability, the interface, the performance, the reliability. Like there, it has come a long, long way, which is good and bad because now everyone can go anywhere. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so I don't mean to I don't mean to diminish or br- brush aside the improvements that there have been. I just can envision a lot more, right? Whereas when I look at skis, I don't think my god, I think we're only like 50% of the way there, you know? And so that's kind of that's really the kind of what motivates these questions is like where do we see where can we envision or imagine the most potential room for improvement? And um, and as I've been talking about more and more recently, I've just got a number of friends here in Crested Butte that are like, seriously, man, you still don't have a sled. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm still kind of holding out. And uh, so anyway, I'll, we can stop talking about snowmobiles now, but this has been uh, a very ongoing conversation around here now for a couple of years they open up so many possibilities for good skiing and adventures and just getting to going to places. So I ha I've had one for a long time, but there's been, you know, I only use it a handful of times a winter, but when I do use it, it's gets me to the best skiing. So I keep it, <laughs> but yeah, I, I could see it would be nice. I like the idea of a multi, use multi-season like that dirt bike style thing if that could evolve into something at least then you have a, a recreational vehicle that you can use in the summer as well and it's not just sitting there and uh, maybe you're like it's not just another something it's like a bit more integral to your your routine and your fun so um yeah who knows could be nice <laughs> Let's talk about climbing skins. I was thinking about the fact that I was like, man, over the last couple of years, I don't think you and I have really ever talked about skins. And so I thought we would just start with sort of, you know, just you personally, how you would rank your priorities when it came to skins and just your own personal preferences. So I think we can maybe talk at least about durability, packability, glide, and grip. And if you want to throw something else in there, you know, there's obviously price, so there's other considerations, but what would be your top priority in general when it comes to skins for you? Uh, For me, I think the thing... What I put a premium on over most anything is weight, um, which also adds to the packability or is kind of part of that. Um, I think, especially, I mean, I'm skinning for me is like the powder access. I really do use them a lot on wide, you know, 122 skis going in deep snow or soft snow or making skin tracks and uh there's such a focus on all this weight on everything else on boots on bindings on skis and no one 
it doesn't seem like people even think about it or care uh, about the skin weight um, nearly as much. And I think it's an area that you can actually save a lot of weight very easily. And uh, that being said, uh, we were talking earlier, but I think skins, I mean, the problem is they're expensive. That's fair. But I, I look at them and I can make a reference to mountain biking, you know, and like people that are really into mountain biking that are good at mountain biking that are like nerdy about it or whatever, they have different wheel sets or different tires for different styles of riding, different terrain, different conditions. So um, ski skins for skiing is like a blanket statement. Oh, I, we're going skinning. We got skins. We got this and that. And it's a, uh, I think there's definitely times where the skins that I would use most of the winter for what I do on the fat skin skis that I ski on are at a disadvantage compared to a heavier, more robust, less glidey um, skin. So you ha I, I think if you're really into it and you're really skinning a lot, um, you probably have to think about having a few different kinds of skins potentially <laughs> the skin quiver yeah well and i mean it's that being said i use pretty much this i've tried a lot of different variations i've have access to you know quite a bit through my relationship with pomoka and i always end up coming back to the skins that i like best glide well and are light and are minimalist and it's a weight and resistant drag thing and a lot of the time i'm we're not putting in straight up skin tracks we're kind of meandering around and the glide is a huge advantage like i know when i get on i've done so many times like trade someone on the skin track and i get on the bd or g3 and it's like it feels like going and riding up a, a you know an ascent trail on your mountain bike with flat tires and it's suddenly it's just like oh so much effort and drag and extra weight and i'm like yeah if i had to use these skins for i i would just stop skinning <laughs> but yeah it's a big personal preference and it's uh there's no ultimate correctness and it all depends on the snow conditions and the terrain and how you have to, what that dictates where you can go and the angle of your uh, skin track. And if you just make your own skin track or if it's terrible conditions and you have to follow one, cause that's the only way of possibly doing it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting, but I, I definitely really enjoy skinning when I have, the kind of thin, good gliding and lightweight skins. And I do really like just the analogy to mountain bike tires. And I, I was like, man, I don't, I wonder how many people think of skins in that same way, because like you said, I mean, people who care about mountain biking, you would never think about, you would never just be like, here's my, it's just a tire right? It's like, it's definitely not just a tire. You're going to get into casings and tread patterns and the rest. And I, I don't really have a sense of how many backcountry skiers kind of put that same level of, of obsession into their skins. Yeah. I mean, I don't, 
I don't think it's probably the racers. And I mean, I, I'm not, I, I just know, I know about it, but I don't, I don't actually like plan it out that well. Um, yeah. And then like for mountain biking, I'm the guilty guy. I'm just like, I want like the grippiest tire that will help me survive and I don't care and <laughs> I'll ride it till the lugs are ripping off and then I'll get some new ones. And so that's, you know, I fall into that category. I just, I just want tires. I just want skins. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And there's so, it's like a very, people get emotional or like the, you know, like the people get offended if they start making a bad skin, you know, if someone questions their skin track or makes their own skin track or, I mean, it's kind of the thing we like about skiing is you can just go wherever it's not biking. You don't actually have to follow a trail. So that's kind of interesting in itself. Um, and then like we were, I mentioned before, it's like the, whatever diminishing gains of making a skin track that you like, uh, and not following a good one. What is the advantage there? Like, are you actually saving energy? Probably not. Um, maybe you're more comfortable. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe you're just happier. I do it all the time. I, I, <laughs> I also have given up too. And it just like, you go, put your head down and go in some terrible skin track. But at some point, everyone snaps that skins a lot when you're following a bad skin track you're just like why am i i don't actually have to follow this like <laughs> and honestly a lot of the time it, i've will walk beside skin tracks just to have social time with people i'm skiing with so i'm not talking at them through my body or trying to lip, always turn around or um, and sometimes like, it's just nice walking in a little bit of fresh snow. Uh, if it's good trail, like if it's easy going, it's, I do it all the time and I actually prefer it because, um, depends on every, and so many things, but sometimes it's just nice to have like your own natural stride and the snow is kind of conforming to like the angle that your foot and ski are stepping and not off kilter by someone else who slid out and, especially with wide skis it's uh i think actually on your joints it can be nicer but you have to have the the fitness component to do that so speaking of skins i mean there is kind of now a collaboration with pomoka and forefront and j skis and i would just be curious um what kind of input you've had on that or just tell us about like how these companies have come together as you understand it. I mean, really, I've been kind of the facilitator of, of this uh, collaboration. Um, obvious, yeah, obviously through uh, Dinafit, I, I've gotten to, Pomoka is one of the brands owned by the Oberalp Salewa group. Um, and the Pomoka guys, they're super cool. They're, it's a small Swiss company. Um, really fun. I, I went and visited them and checked out their uh, production facility. It's really, it's really cool, really small, really hands-on. Like you wouldn't believe how many skins are coming out of that. And you see all over the world, you're just like, wow, this is, you guys are doing an amazing job. And everyone's like, it's like something I like. It's like everyone was happy. They're having a good time. The people running the company and the product, the, the team manager and 
you know, we're all just like, it's just been super organic. Um, and I really like their product. So it's, it's perfect. Um, and for years I've been using those different Pomoka skins and really I've been trying to provide feedback and pushing and we need, we need uh, fat skins available that are basically like your race skins because they don't exist or you have to buy the roll. And like, it took a, a few years just to get that going. I was the only one I would have all these pink skins that I cut from a roll and, or they sent me specially and then people would try them at my camps or throughout the year. And they're like, man, we want, we need those skins. Like, and I, I, yeah, it was just impossible to, to even get them to them. They would happily buy them and they're expensive, but they like them that much. Um, and then, yeah, through the forefront connection, kind of transitioning into Jason, uh, Leventhal, um, taking over the company and running it, um, he, it was really nice. He came to me, we chat, we chat all the time, but he was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what, what's something that you're, you know, like that we should do? And I was like, well, I mean, the skis are great and we're going to go through all this and, and, and re, you know, redesign everything a bit and transition into the new different factory. And there'll be some, some transitional time as there was, but, uh, things are starting to become stable and working properly everything everyone's happy um and i was like well i've been wanting to do this hole in the skin short skin better attachment i'm sick of tail clips i'm bending over a hundred times a day when i'm skinning with people putting their tail clips back on every every kick turn it's just driving me crazy i have something that i made super basic but it works and i've never had to put it back on <laughs> and the Pomoka guys are really cool and they're looking for they want ski partners and they're 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 looking for companies to work with. So Jason uh jumped on board and they both started communicating and they seem to be uh working well together and yeah, that's just it's been I think it's a a cool partnership and the companies are kind of in a way similar. Um Pomoka's a bit bigger than Forefront, but they're both kind of like core they do what they do and they want to make good product that people like and enjoy. So, um, yeah, it's been a good partnership and it's been a lot of fun to, uh, kind of, that was one of the first things I was really able to CNC machine on my own was the, the prototype of the skin, uh, tail clip. Cause I had a bunch of we were kind of going back and forth and there's all these terrible ideas and I had some old stuff and uh, yeah, the, the team manager was here visiting me. We were shooting some product videos and doing some stuff and I just like, all right, let's do it. And over like a three day period of staying up late and drawing it on, you know, like drawing one by hand, making kind of a rough prototype on the machine manually figuring it all out, drawing it on CAD, taking it down, programming, building like five or six, you know, prototypes that were machine by the machine and then giving them to those guys. You know, it was just like a really fun, that's kind of all the things I've been working towards uh, to have the ability to just have an idea, make it and start trying it. So um, I'm really happy with the project and the collaboration has been, um, I think, pretty strong. As a lot of people know, I'm a big fan of the of the Raven as 
kind of a spring touring ski when I'm not necessarily going out for super deep pow. So I've been using, I've got quite a few days on this Raven with the cutout, you know, kind of behind the binding and the, and the Pomoka skins. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty slick setup. Yeah. And you, I, I'm, I'm the, I'm happy to get some uh, feedback if you've been using them. Cause I, I've had all sorts of different uh, series of prototypes and stuff I've made, but yeah, I'd like to, if you have comments, concerns, questions, likes, unlikes, everything, I'd be happy to hear. When I first saw it, I was like, this is so weird. And, but then I just started touring on, you know, on the setup and I've had zero issues. I think the only thing that I would say is on, you know, that reverse camber Raven, if you are somebody skinning up very steep ice, right? Mm -hmm. Just iced up skin tracks. Like, yeah, that probably wouldn't be my first choice. Um, on a reverse camber ski where you don't have, you know, you don't have full tail coverage. I've been on some pretty firm skin tracks and it just hasn't been an issue at all. So I don't know. That's kind of my, my first take on it. But yeah, it was funny going, going from just like, God, this is so weird. Like I'm not clipping this skin onto the tail. And then <laughs> pretty quickly you're like, yeah, why yeah, would you? No, it's uh I mean, yeah, there's certain situations and of course, um, the fully rocker thing can be an issue, um, especially when you just can't get the enough surface area, um, because of a weird side hill or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, the goal, I, I would hope that we can just offer that as a tail attachment system, like everyone else, and you can put it on any skin, you know, you just cut it and a couple rivets or whatever it could be glue um there's many ways that i i would hope people would just be able to adapt it to skins they already have if they want or yeah like you're saying like for sure on a, on that kind of ski for spring mission um there's certain times and conditions and areas and personal preference where you would want a like a synthetic skin with more grip that's actually more durable because that's the other part of it when you really um use the full mohair stuff or 90 percent mohair on really icy hard snow you can that's the only time i've ever had you know the plush side of the skin deteriorate over time um other uh, if you're skinning in in whatever winter snow or softer snow like they seem to last I, and they they just get better almost with age except for the glue is becomes the limiting factor at that point um i have a couple drawers full of skins that need to be re-glued and the plot the plush is still fine you know and i just uh yeah you need a well-ventilated area you need a nice workbench where you can clamp them you need a heat gun and a scraper and an iron and like i've done it and if you actually set it up if you had your system and you had your spot and you could do, you know, you could do 10 pairs an hour if you really got into it. And I've just never, I need, I need to borrow someone's garage or something with, you know, that I can have full ventilation and also wear a mask. Cause I just, I don't know how harmful that stuff is. Like I've heard it's like similar to just like 
it's actually ha- the new glue that people have all these issues with is actually like more of like a food grade uh, adhesive, low melt adhesive because of all the contamination, you're touching it, you're eating your lunch, you're touching your skis, all this stuff. So I've heard that it's actually not uh, the worst is toxic as the old ascension glue on the purple skins that you still see people using 20 years later and it's still fine somehow. (laughs) I mean, my main can, or my main goal was just to, yeah, if some develop something that has a clear user interface advantage uh, with not coming off and failing. So I'm happy to hear if you don't have, if you haven't had any issues, because that's been the goal is like, I don't want to ever bend down. I don't want to ever walk behind someone and be like, your left, your left tail clip is off here. Stop. And <laughs> I don't want to do that ever again. And I mean, uh, it's been funny talking to Fritz and getting him to try. And he's like, this is just useless. Like why? He's like, we solved this. 30 years ago, he's like, the skin just needs a hard fixation on the tail and the rubber in the front, and it never comes off. And why? He's like, for some reason in North America, like, he hates all this. He's just like, you're wasting your time. He's like, just put a rubber, an elastic component on the tip clip. And I'm like, well, yeah, but all those broke. And putting the skin, like, for me, it's like, just the... uh, the process of like I take the ski off, I stab it in the snow tail down because you can't stab it in the snow with the tip usually very easily. And then you can start putting the skin on and rubbing it on in the direction that the the plush goes tip to tail. And if you do it the other way, it's it, it's just not as I haven't I've tried it many times, but I've never found a natural process that works for me as well. Um, so I, I argued against him. It's fun when we disagree about things like that. (laughs) (laughs) I had a question that reaches all the way back to episode number one of gear 30, where you were talking about skiing with your boots in walk mode. And you were sort of encouraging us. You were saying people should do this and try this. So the question is, are you still deliberately skiing downhill with your boots in walk mode? Oh yeah. I I love it. I mean it it it's just like you choose your own adventure. I I kind of I compare it to like snowboarding, you know? And like if you have that sunny day and you're skiing in sunglasses, like there's a lot of it available off Whistler Blackhome. I did a bunch of it this year where you're just kind of meadow skipping out the musical bumps and they're just like gentle rolling slopes, usually good snow. And, and you just like, if you're fully done up and everything's cranked, like it's not even, there's zero fun, like it's fun, but it's just like flat gay pow. And, you know, but if you, I just like the sensation of like engaging my leg muscles and kind of finding my balance point and and that's one of the things why I really like the full rockered ski because you just need lateral stability out of your boots and bindings and fore and aft can be done just with the strength of your legs you don't actually need 
And this is just like simple terrain. It's not, as soon as you start jumping or getting into tighter trees or anything, of course it becomes dangerous. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I like the sensation. I mean, maybe it's, I, I like love just kind of schnoodling down, you know, and like trying different kinds of turns and feeling like this is what it would have been like in those leather boots. And like, it's kind of like a heritage. Uh, you're getting back to the, basics except the skis are way better of course but <laughs> um it's a fun i i like it and i think it, it i do think it's good for your skiing i think it's good for your muscle memory um just to know where the center like where you are on the ski and where you can be and how you can control it without relying on the influence of four and a half leverage out of your boots and what kind of turns and what kind of maneuvers you can do just by lateral movement where you're per in a perfectly balanced position um and and then i think because i like that that's i try to be there as much as i can while i'm skiing and obviously yes you need the boots for a lot of things they're kind of like your power and control and stability and ability to recover um but yeah that's just me <laughs> well but this this raises the question then have you ever tele-skied? I know, like I've tried a few times. I've tried on modern gear. I took my dad's stuff from the late 70s out a few times when I was a teenager. I tried on like full Alpine gear in Europe one time or like a modern hard boot, everything tele stuff. It's it's really tough. And um, But yeah, I see I'm like, I could see myself when I'm like 70 years old and I just want like a pair of fully rockered, like, easy skiing kind of softer renegade and some like nice leather boots that are warm and comfortable and like the most minimalist binding and could try to, you know, like could free heel or lock the heel and just like just powder therapy and just, just like make a, you just make the gentle slopes like really, it's a bit more challenging. It's a bit more fun and uh, yeah, you can have a lot of fun take almost zero risk and just enjoy the the mountains and the weather that you're in. Okay, so we've been we've been talking a lot and thinking a lot about this here at Blister because we kind of I don't it's a I guess a longer story about how this all evolved, but we are on the hook for making a telemark video and like I've never teleskied, my managing editor has never teleskied there's a number of us who haven't. So we're like, all right, we're going to, we have to go do this. And then COVID kind of shut the world down. So we're not, you know, I don't know if we'll get to it this spring or if this is not going to happen till, you know, next year. But, and then we also might be on the hook to be like making the snowboard video. And we, there actually is a scenario where we would go heli skiing in Alaska on mono boards. Oh, nice. So we've been thinking a lot about different forms of sliding around on snow. And I guess I want to ask you, you mentioned no boarding. Have you put any time on a no board or mono ski or snowboard or snow blades? Uh, no significant time on anything. Uh, um, but I've tried a, a bit of, of it all. The one thing I haven't tried, which I really, really want, and I joke about it all the time is like, I just want to make it my split monoboard. Um, 
Because mono, oh man, it's so, it's so nerdy and so cool. And so like some conditions, I mean, I remember talking to Hugo Harrison back in the day and he's like the fastest, most powerful skiers out of snowboarding, skiing, anything in Chamonix are the monoboarders. And you can Google and watch these crazy, crazy clips of guys straight lining cores and just skiing. They're so fast. He's like, no one can touch them. They're the fastest. Um, and in certain conditions, they definitely have this advantage over everything, but obviously some significant disadvantages in a lot of conditions, but yeah, I want to try. Cause I love the, like I joke around and like I s ski with one ski, like the tip kind of on top of the other and, and do the classic like eighties wiggles. Um, and I think it's fun. Um, so I, I'd like to try and growing up, there was these old, uh, you should try and find them. I have the VHSs. They're hard to find, but uh, the Rapski films, they for quite a few years, they had a seg like a segment in the film called Multiglise, Multiglide. And it was, uh, yeah, they'd have a bad, a really good telemarker, snowboarder, monoboarder, traditional skier, and they'd just go heli skiing and film them all ripping together, party shredding. And like, it was super cool and interesting. Um, and so like there are some insanely talented telemarkers around uh, out there like it's such a difficult thing and you watch them and they're like the prettiest like pow skiing and shredding and like it's crazy um i have a lot of respect and it was interesting really trying on their like kind of the hard boot modern stuff and like it really made me realize how little as an alpine skier you don't even really I don't pay enough attention to my inside ski and, and that's uh telemarking. You have, you have to, uh, you have to have full control of both skis all the time. So it's good for your abilities. Um, and no boarding. I've, I've never really gotten into it, given it the fair, uh, shake, but I do like the idea. And I mean, a lot of the, I have a lot of friends who get into it a lot and they take them all the time and they love it. And it's just like this freedom. Like that's the few times I've tried snowboarding. I just didn't like after all, all of the skiing, I didn't like the feeling of like my feet being locked to something like fully, it just feels unnatural. So I think the no board, a lot of skiers like it. Cause it's just a little more, you have more movement there, but the same thing, you just have to go in uh, the gentle stuff to get started. There's a couple kind of regulars I see around CB and they're just like shredding kind of steep troughed out mogul lines on a no board and I'm just like you win yeah like I don't know how you're doing that right now no. um but it's every time I see it I'm like you are just that is that is super badass no I a few years ago we were on a team trip kind of the only real first team trip with the forefront guys and Kai was uh on the team at that time so we got to go together and we we're at a lodge skiing together and uh one of the days he's just like yeah I'm no boarding today and he brought these UPs and I'm like really like it's deep or how are you gonna go anywhere and like totally skeptical and then he went and like shredded the same lines I was skiing like to film on his snowboard I'm like well I guess I need to retire like you're <laughs> You're you're shredding these lines on a no board in Sorel boots and like doing pillow drops and 
it was just mind blowing. It was super impressive. Um, but the snow was really good. Like that's, I think the snowboard is, it's like really a powder tool, you know, like that's where it shines. And I don't, I don't, I've never seen anyone uh, doing zipper lines. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, anything interesting for us to touch on in terms of either books you're reading or movies you're watching or stuff you're listening, music you're listening to? Uh, I mean, I've, I've been really having fun with the, uh, got the Spotify account and like the discover weekly and like, just fine. Like, I don't even know what I'm listening to because it's always just new things coming in. And I do a pretty good job of liking or like saving things that I hear to playlists so I can, now I have like a 400 song, uh, track playlist of just stuff I've heard. And it's, that's, that's been really fun. I listen to music, uh, all the time while I'm working. Um, also for hearing protection, I just splurged and got a, finally after years, these, uh, nice Bose, uh, noise canceling headphones. And that's been a game changer. Um, I've been enjoying that uh the Chicago Bulls my Michael Jordan uh yes the last dance cuz I know nothing about basketball and obviously I remember that time in in school and like Jordan and all this and but I never knew what was going on so it's been really cool to see kind of the inside behind the scenes and they do really I think they they're doing a great job with the character development and back and forth and the dynamics and the politics and a lot of things in that little hidden stories in that uh, series have kind of, for me, they're like personally applicable into different things that I've gone through or been going through. And I'm like, God, this is, it's kind of fun to watch someone else and see what they do and see what results they get. Um, you gotta, you gotta say more about that. What do you mean <laughs> when you say I could not be happier than I am right now? Because like, I grew up in Chicago, like I was watching Jordan at old Chicago stadium. So this last dance for me is just like, this is, this is it, you know? And, and I, so the fact that you're like going through this and thinking about this is kind of an amazing moment for me right now. But Tell me more what you mean, like as you're seeing what Jordan or the team goes through certain things that are kind of resonating yeah, with you. I mean, well, I mean, it's pretty incredible, like his daily routine and like the interviews and the, I mean, I only got like a one one millionth of fraction of, you know, being a, some known person and public and doing the film tour and all that kind of stuff. And it's exhausting. Like it's, and I was doing all that and not playing games every night and doing it. Like, I was just like, how did this guy, um, the amount of endurance and yeah, it's just, I, I, I can appreciate that aspect. And like, he's becoming a hero of someone that I just knew was like a superstar, but I had no idea what they're what was the actual like life or job or success that he was dealing with. So, and just also like uh, him and the other dynamics with the players. I really like uh, Pippen, Scotty Pippen and everything he was going through. And like, it's just, I was just like, this is, oh, it's too close. It's too much. Uh, 
the frustration of just dealing with like organizations or companies and politics and results that you get and what, you know, like in the end, what you're bringing and offering and you can take a stand and do all this. And in the end, you just get put back in because you love playing the game and you'll keep doing it. And so there was a bit of that going on lately. <laughs> um, I won't get into too many specifics, but yeah, <laughs> I was like, man, I, I can really appreciate what he's dealing with. Um, and then obviously just like there's, it's like an endless highlight reel of just like spectacular athleticism and ta- raw talent and just amazing plays. So I can appreciate that. And I like watching that's like the pure entertainment value of it all, but yeah, it'll be cool. I, I guess hopefully there's a few more episodes coming out soon. Two more. Yeah. So, okay. I've, you know, I now find myself talking to one of the best big mountain skiers of all time. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you blush or anything. Talking about, you know, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. I think the part that I'm curious about is, I mean, a huge element of this is the, you know, we're looking at in this examination of like Jordan's absolute drive and like absolute competitiveness and absolute will to win. Does that resonate at all? Or like when you are kind of operating or feel like you're operating at a peak level, yeah, I mean, it, do you find yourself do you find yourself kind of being like nodding or do you find yourself thinking this guy what this is just he's some alien. Do you know what I mean? Like talk about like are there any resonances from that from the performance and the mindset uh point of view? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very different like competitive sports competitions, team sports like there's a whole different element there that doesn't apply to anything I would do. I mean, filming with a film crew, you're a team doing something and everyone's trying to do their best and everyone has each other's back. And it's like, that's why we've had those very similar team players in the same team. And we keep going. We're the, the old MSP crew of Adma and Rubens and <laughs> Gaffney. And like, we're the bulls here. We didn't win anything, but we had a good time doing it and we were pretty proficient at what we do. Um, and yeah, so I don't, I don't, the competitiveness isn't, isn't applicable um, in, in a competition sense, but the, I think the team camaraderie and just like the drive to like do something and like maximize your potential physically and mentally and like really in in, like you live that game you live that's your focus that's I live skiing um and for many years filming skiing and really like honing that like craft to the point where you're you feel like you can you know like you're pretty proficient and you have a good record and you're not getting hurt and you're not having avalanche problems and you're you know like you're trying to get to the top of your human potential in that very specific activity that's quite physical and mental, um, stimulating and challenging. Um, so yeah, that's kind of similar, but yeah, the team, the, 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 sorry, the, the competitive stuff, that's, that's just a whole nother, I mean, he utilized that to the max, obviously to just, when it, 
ever there was some magical moment, he just, boom, snapped it up and was able to to do what it, he could do best. And um, yeah, it's just inspiring. It's really cool. Well, on that note, I don't know how we could top, I don't know how we could, you know, from my point of view, come to a, a better place to end this conversation than uh, getting to hear you talk about Jordan and the, the 98 Bulls. So uh, I think my work here is officially done. All right. Well, that was uh, <laughs> serendipitous, but yeah, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And I feel uh, very privileged and honored to be the number one and <laughs> the, the number 100. And, uh, and, and our patron pa- saint. Patron saint. Yeah. So... To be honest, I don't really know how the whole patron saint thing works. Like, I don't, I don't know if you, if that's only an honor that is normally bestowed upon someone who's no longer with us. But if that's true, then this is even more remarkable because you are a living patron saint. <laughs> I should have, I should have done my research better on this. But uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's. Um, it is that's what it is. Outside my uh, knowledge base, I don't know anything about how that stuff works, but. Well, hey, man, listen, it's it's good to connect again and uh, touch base and hear what you're up to and thinking about. And we are certainly bummed, as I know you are, that uh, you haven't been able to be out getting after it in kind of, you know, prime season. But yeah, that's a, that's a very small negative on the grand scheme of everything that's going on in the world. And I'm very uh, aware of all that kind of stuff. And I have my little moments of complaining or whatever but it it's like i mean everything is we're so lucky right now and uh there's a lot going on that's you know people are it's life or death and it's tough times and healthcare workers are stressed to the max and it's yeah the whole social systems it's uh no one needs skiing right now <laughs> there's there's a, the reality of what's important in life is is what needs to be focused on. That's for sure. Well, hey, I'll let you get going. Um, great to talk. I look forward to the next time. And uh, yeah, take care of yourself and enjoy that Enjoy that green bike of yours. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you. Take all the best to you and uh, look forward to our next uh, episode here. <laughs> all right, man. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. Many thanks to Hoji for the conversation. Thanks again to you for joining us on this Gear 30 journey. And of course, thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And again, if you are enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little rating or review in iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, because Hoji got me really really jonesing to monoski and as i think you all know if we stack up those gear 30 ratings then we are officially on the hook to go shoot a heli skiing monoski video in alaska so take 30 seconds to pitch in and let's make that happen because who wants to live in a world where that doesn't happen right finally if you haven't already done so go check out the Bikes and Big Ideas podcast that we dropped yesterday. We just posted an episode with Adam Miller, who is the founder of Borealis Fat Bikes and Y-Cycles and Revel Bikes. 
And Adam's backstory is incredible. So if you are into startup culture or into entrepreneurship, and especially if you just love mountain biking, you seriously need to listen to Adam's story. It's crazy. You also want to listen to that episode before next week's Gear 30 episode because it's going to provide some crucial context for next week's Gear 30 episode. So there you go. You've got an assignment. That's it. That's all we've got. It's time to go. Please take good care of yourself and everyone else. And we will see you back here on Gear 30 next week. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>